Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Hey everyone, today's episode is just packed full of fantastic knowledge bombs, one after the other after the other. This gentleman is absolutely fantastic. His name is Ben Azadi, and he is the founder of the Keto Camp uh, podcast and business. He's also the author of Keto Flex and a number of other books as well. And today's topic is all about metabolic flexibility, how to uh, stop metabolic dysfunction, uh, insulin resistance, diabetes, and keto. Uh, it's fantastic, absolutely amazing. He has such a depth of knowledge. I really, really love love this episode and we've been doing you know a number of episodes lately around the the theme of keto and what it is and where it's therapeutic and what it can be used for it's not the only tool as Ben says in this toolbox but it is a very important one and understanding some of the science behind it is really really valuable Uh, before we head over to Ben please if you're listening to this on YouTube give the channel a like give us a a subscription if you want to get great content all the time like this Um, and if you uh, Uh, listening on the podcast please rate and review Uh, that would be really really beneficial for us and getting the word out there and if you want to become a patron of the show that would be absolutely fantastic as well the links will all be in the show notes but patron.lisatarmity.com if you're wanting to be a part of our uh, exclusive members group Uh, and it's basically about helping us keep this content free so that lots of people can enjoy it Uh, we also have our health consulting if you have a health problem that you want help with. Uh, I work with all sorts of people um, from really difficult health journeys to to people that just want to optimize their health, their longevity, anti-aging strategies, biohacking, uh, you name it. We can help, and also we do epigenetics and DNA testing uh, as part of our programs, and this can be very uh, informative for you to build a framework about developing the right lifestyle interventions, the right exercise, the right food, all of that sort of thing for your specific genes. Right, over to the show now with Ben Azadi. Hey, everyone. I am super excited today to bring you a gentleman who is – Oh man, this guy's brain is enormous and he has an incredible backstory. Ben Azadi, welcome to the show. Fantastic Lisa. to have you. Yeah, Lisa, thank you. You uh I love the work you're doing. You came on my podcast a couple of months ago, had an amazing conversation, got such great feedback on that. So I'm grateful oh. to be back with you now on your show. Yeah, it's absolutely fabulous. And I and I appreciate you taking time out for me. Um, you are Mr. Keto. You run Keto Camp. Um, can you tell us though a little bit your backstory because it's quite an interesting backstory. You didn't, you know, you weren't born just amazingly full of knowledge and having the right diet and everything from the get go. Can you give us your backstory? Absolutely, yeah. So I followed, you know, growing up here in America, I followed the standard American diet, <laughs> which we know very sad, toxic, processed, filled diet. And uh, growing up here, my parents. First and, first and foremost, my parents immigrated to Miami, Florida, where I live, from Iran. So I am first generation here in America. My parents made that scary, bold decision to leave Iran and come here in the 70s. And I was born in 1984. And wow. uh, after that, 
my parents got divorced when I was very young and my mom raised me and my sister. She worked three jobs and two of those jobs were at a Kentucky Fried Chicken. I, I'm not sure if you have that in Australia. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. New Zealand. Yeah, we do. Unfortunately. New Zealand. Excuse <laughs> me. Yeah. So yeah, unfortunately you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's fast food. My mom would bring me fast food. I would eat the fast food and I was pretty much left to my own devices growing up, meaning my mom was working all the time and I hung out with the wrong crowd and had really bad behaviors, drugs, alcohol, video game, food addictions. So this manifested with poor health, uh, obese physically, obese mentally. And this was my life growing up as a, as a child. I was always wow. that kid that was fat, bullied, picked on, low self-esteem, low self-confidence. Wow. And uh, as an adult now, uh, this transferred into my adulthood because my behaviors dictated my future and these behaviors were really poor. So I found myself at the age of 24 years old, that was 2008, being mentally obese, physically obese, weighing 250 pounds, wanting to give up on life because I was depressed, suicidal, and just tired of, sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I actively explored suicide. And every time I did that, I thought, I thought about my mom. I thought about what she would have to deal with if I took my life. And I didn't want to do that to my mom. Mm. So it stopped me. Mm. And I knew I had to figure things out. So Thankfully, a friend of mine, my best friend, Ronald, and his wife, Carla, um, they were not married back then. They're married now. But they said, hey, you know, I think you should read this book. And one book led to five books, which led to 10 books. And I started to fall in love with these amazing authors. Uh, Bob Proctor is one of the, the main ones. And here's a photo of him uh, behind me on my desk. Brilliant. Uh, and he changed my life, saved my life. Him, Dr. Wayne Dyer. Uh, Jim Rohn, Earl Nightingale. I mean, these are incredible authors. And the books did a lot for me. It opened up a whole new world that I never knew existed. But the most important thing the books did for me helped me take ownership and responsibility for the first time ever. You yeah. know, up until that point, uh, my ability to respond to life, which is your responsibility, my ability to respond to life was poor. Of course, I'm obese. It's my slow metabolism. It's my enabling family members. It's my slow, my bad genetics. You know, I had that victim mentality, yeah. but the, when you take ownership, that all goes away. And when you take ownership and responsibility, when I took ownership and responsibility, I immediately became the victor of my future, stopped being the victim of my history. Wow. So I started to Powerful. exercise. I started to eat better. I started to move my body. And I went through, the, through this incredible transformation where I lost 80 pounds. I went from 250 pounds to 170 pounds, wow. 34% body fat to 6% body fat. And, um, you know, I, I did finally achieve a physical six pack, was, which was a huge desire of mine being the kid that would never had that. Yeah. But the most important thing that I achieved was a mental six pack. I started to understand how important your mindset is and your thoughts. A lot of the things you talk about, Lisa, and that was 14 years ago. Ever since then, I've been exploring different diets and protocols and, uh, you know, keeping up with the research. And I've been a student of the game and I've explored a lot of different approaches. And uh, yeah, that was my backstory. And I've been on a mission ever since to educate, to inspire uh, 1 billion people. That's the goal here at Keto Camp, to educate wow. and to inspire a billion people. And like you, you know, losing your dad, ha uh, having the challenges with your mom. My dad also got sick in um, 2013. You know, he always had type 2 diabetes. Never, I never really understood it, but it's so common, type 2 diabetes. Yeah. And, I, and I followed that conventional approach and refilled his medication every Tuesday, took him to the grocery store every Tuesday, make sure he was taking his meds and he got worse and worse and worse. And he ended up suffering a, a massive stroke and, yeah. and left him paralyzed. It left him with the inability to speak. 
and he was pretty much on his uh, deathbed for nine months. And after wow. nine months, he ended up passing away in 2000, August 12, 2014, he passed mm -hmm. away and it raised a lot of questions for me. You know, yeah. why did this happen to my dad? If I followed everything the conventional doctors told me to do, why are so many people suffering from type two diabetes and the problems that are associated with it? And you know what? I got the answers to all those questions. Thank God. And it's the same information that we share on our platforms, but you know, if I would have applied that to my dad, I know that he would be alive today, but I also get that I was given that mountain so I could show the world the mountain could be moved. So when I went through my transformation, it was more of a hobby that I was treating health and teaching it. When I lost my dad, I went from a hobby to pain to purpose. And, and that's what lights me up every day to get the message out there. Well, Ben, that is just so powerful. I'm trying not to cry because I've been I've been through the same journey, different you know, different times um, with my dad as well and my mum as well. And 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 this is what why you're so driven, I think, you know, because you know you want to stop people having this pain. You want you every single day when I'm out and about and I'm talking to friends and talking about their families and so on. Every single day, I'm hearing people, diabetes, cancer, Alzheimer's, uh, heart disease, all of these things, and I'm just like, can you listen to me for five yeah. minutes? And, and, yeah. and, and, and you know, <clears throat> they get all these unsolicited knowledge bombs from me <laughs> when they don't <laughs> want it. <laughs> but I'm just like desperate to have their eyes open to some of the things that we know, like you and I know, and you know a hell of a lot more than I know. Um, and, and just to have the, the, this, have the opportunity not to go down that path because it is, it isn't inevitable. We, we can, and I think a lot of our older generation, you know, I was just speaking to someone yesterday, his dad's, you know, had a, a, a um, diabetes and a foot, you know, removed, and I'm just like, please come and see me, please. You know, yeah. like I know I have some answers, but trying to get convince people to actually take these interventions when it's not being promoted by the doctors in the traditional medicine, and it's not understood as to why, and a lot of people won't put the effort into knowing the why. Um, and this is, but this is, you know, when when I listen to your lectures and hear you speak, I'm just like. Damn, you're a good communicator, <laughs> and you really get this stuff across. And I'm, I'm learning from you. I'm thinking, man, I could do that better, and I could, I could present it in this way too. And, and this is what it's all about: people learning from each other, and, and then helping others out of this hole. And when you've gone through a physical transformation, and I have too, even though I was, you know, the, the, the crazy runner, I was always overweight, despite horrendous amounts of training and I was just like what what what's going on now I know what's going on so Ben let's dive in then to keto now you have a new book out that's called keto flex mm -hmm. uh, you've got some other books tell us about your other books as well and then tell us a little bit about keto flex yeah thank you for the for the kind words as well I appreciate it well received and I'm grateful for that for you um, yeah, I have four books, uh, a book just about general health called The Perfect Health Booklet, which I wrote in 2018, just some general steps that I wanted to write. Because my the reason I wrote the first book, and you could probably relate to this being an author, I was, I was tired of just having those conversations with people or giving them my business card and nothing happened, happened yeah. as a result, right? <laughs> yeah. So I thought, all right, if I had a book, very easy to read book, kind of like a pamphlet, but a little bit bigger, and I handed it to them, there's more of a likelihood that they would kind of keep that on their desk or coffee table and eventually pick it up. A lot of people will throw away a business card, pretty uncommon to throw away a book. So that was the thought process around that. So it's a very easy read. 
uh, just some general information on health called the Perfect Health Booklet. After that, I wrote a book about intermittent fasting, another easy under, under, under uh, easy to understand book about the top 20 questions I've been asked about intermittent fasting. I answered it in a book, provided some science, easy to read. And then I wrote a book about sleep because as you know, sleep is one of the fundamentals to health and that's called The Power of Sleep. Keto Flex is what I think my, my flagship book is. It took me about two years to write, very comprehensive, over 300 pages. Wow. And I wanted people to really understand what ketosis is, how to apply it, and then how to use it as one tool. There's many tools. This is not just the only one, but it's a very powerful tool to achieve metabolic flexibility. In America, and I know it's very similar across the world, including New Zealand and other countries, there was a study that came out here in America in 2018. This was a 10-year study. They got over 8,000 people in this study. It was done by the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And they wanted to look at how healthy or how unhealthy is the adult American population. So they looked at over 8,000 people. They tracked their A1C, their blood pressure, their BMI, their triglycerides, are they on medication, off medication? And the study confirmed, the results of the study said, only 12% of the American adult population is metabolically healthy. Whoa, 12%, 12%. Meaning 88% of American adults are metabolically unhealthy. That was before COVID. Then COVID <laughs> happened. That probably got worse, right? Yeah. So ketosis and keto flexing, which I write about in the book, these people need that because they have a keto deficiency. And a lot of people think keto is a fad diet and we'll get into that. Mm. But I wanted to write the book because I wanted to clear up all the confusion. Keto is very popular. The way that I teach it, the way that I view it and study it is how do we apply it to reduce cellular inflammation? And I did, and I believe I did that by writing the book. Absolutely fantastic. Actually, I watched one of your lectures and where it was, uh, which one was it? Intermittent fasting, but you talked about cellular health. And I was like, aha, we're on the same, <laughs> we're on the same yes. thing here. And that it comes down. And I think you've come up from a slightly different angle, but from my teachers, I've been taught about cellular health being the, the basis of, of, we need to come back to the cell. We need to come back to the singular cell. If we can get that singular cell working as it should be, then we can get the organs working. We can get the whole body working, you know, by extrapolation because we are made up of how many trillion cells? I keep forgetting. 50 yeah, trillion 30, 30 to 70 trillion, somewhere Is, in between there. Yeah. yeah, no one's ever counted, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> trillions of these cells. And if we can get our cells operating properly as they were meant to be operating, and each cell in our body has a different job. So a neuron yeah. has a different job than a liver cell, than a skin cell, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, but there's some similarities. Can you go into a little bit about uh, cellular health, uh, the membranes, uh, inflammation on the membranes, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Great question. I love the topic and the question. You're, you're right. My mentor, Dr. Pompa, Dr. Pompa said, if you want to get well, you got to fix the cell. And yeah. that's exactly what you're saying here. So when we think about the intelligence of the human body, uh, the, there is an innate intelligence within the body that is there as the world's greatest physician, healer, doctor, chiropractor, health coach. I mean, it's within your cells. For so many years, we thought, many scientists believe that the intelligence of your cells was in your DNA nucleus, meaning, yeah. and that premise, I don't like because that premise means 
If you have cancer that runs in your family or diabetes that runs in your family, you got those genes. It's just a matter of time. It's like a victim yep. mindset. That's not so there true. was a guy named Dr. Bruce Lipton, who I know you know yep. who he is. Yeah, he's been on my on show. The scene. <laughs> you, you interviewed him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want an intro? Oh, I got to listen to that. That's, <laughs> I'll, that's I'll introduce you to him. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I interviewed him too. Um, oh, you have? He's just yeah. epic, isn't he? Yeah, he's amazing. So I'm going to listen to the one you did with him. He came on the scene, right? And he said, all right, he wanted to challenge that premise. So what he did is what he would look at cells and he would extract the DNA nucleus and observe what happened next. And what happened next was that the cell actually continued to function for up to two months, sometimes even longer until it went rogue and ended up with apoptosis, which is cellular death. So he thought, okay, if it's not the DNA nucleus that's controlling the cell, that the intelligence is there, where is it? So then they remove the membrane of the cell and boom, instant death. Wow. That goes to show that it's the membrane that the intelligence lies in. And the membrane actually communicates with the DNA. It's where your hormones are connecting to, your nutrients, your thoughts, your oxygen, et cetera. And uh, so the membrane is very important. So then the next question is, what's the membrane, the cell membrane made of? And we know it's made up of protein, saturated fat, and cholesterol. And to your Conventional doctor, those are bad words. <laughs> uh, exactly. but how could the, yeah. That could be bad for you if you're made up of that, right? Yeah. And it's not just the cell membrane. The mitochondria also have its own membrane. And the mm. mitochondria are very important as well because that's mm. what helps you produce energy and many other things. So we want to find ways to reduce membrane inflammation. What's causing excessive membrane inflammation? And it comes from nutrition, lifestyle behaviors, thoughts, et cetera. And once you start removing the interference, then inflammation is reduced. Then you have this amazing orchestra in your body that's functioning well and things start to happen for your fa towards your favor. Wow, that is just so gold. So when we get the membrane, so yeah, let's go, let's talk briefly about the cholesterol side of that equation because yeah, it's demonized, you know, LDL and HDL and HDL is good and LDL is bad and triglycerides and, and uh, there's a lot of confusion about and, and in the keto world, uh, oh, your, your, your um, cholesterol has gone up, therefore the keto diet is bad for you. Um, we need cholesterol. We need it for hormone production. As you said, we need it for our cells and membranes. So the, the most important thing is that we have good fats in the mix. In, that, yeah. in our in our cooking and our in our um, eating, and I've heard you do a lecture on some of the 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 good fats to take and the bad ones. So let's briefly touch on that, and then go into the cholesterol story a little bit. What yeah, so oil should you have, and what ones should you absolutely not have? Because these are the building blocks of your cells. They are. They are the building blocks. You're right. So. There are a set of fats, oils that cause more membrane inflammation than sugar, processed carbs, and some even say smoking. Wow. They are called PUFAs. And that stands for polyunsaturated fatty acids. That's just the chemical structure of them. That word poly mean, means many. So when you look at the chemical, chemical structure, it means it has many double bonds. The more double bonds a fat has, the more oxygen that it attracts. And the more oxygen that it attracts, the more it oxidizes. So the analogy that I always give is if I bit into an apple and then I left the apple on the counter and came back five hours later, oxidizes. that apple starts to oxidize and turn brown. That's kind of like what's happening at the cellular membrane level with these bad fats. When I interviewed Dr. Kate Shanahan, who was the nutritionist for the Los Angeles Lakers, she wrote a great book called Deep Nutrition and Fat Burn Fix. 
she said she believes that these bad fats are worse than smoking cigarettes, meaning it'll lead to more disease than smoking cigarettes each wow. day because of this inflammatory response. And they're also called linoleic acid, omega-6 fats. And the half-life of omega-6 fats in our fat cells is two years. Wow. That is the estimated half-life, meaning if you removed all of these bad fats from your diet today, in two years, half of them will still remain in your body fat. That's how damaging (laughs) they are. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's bad. (laughs) So that's why I'd rather have sugar than uh, these bad fats, because if I have sugar, I could be active and burn it off. But if I have the bad fats, I stick around for a long time. So there's eight of them we want to avoid. And look, they're all keto friendly, but they're not all health friendly. So there's three C's, three S's, and two others. And Dr. K. Shanahan calls them the hateful eight. So I'm going to share all of them right now. Mm -hmm. We have canola, corn, and cottonseed oil. Mm -hmm. We have soybean, sunflower, and safflower oil. And then we have um, grapeseed oil and rice bran oil. Those are the Mm -hmm. really rancid fats that we want to avoid you know, instead, because your audience is going to wonder, okay, if we can't have those, what are the healthier fats that support the membrane, support inflammation, reducing inflammation? That's going to be saturated fats and monounsaturated fats, mm-hmm. butter, ghee, coconut oil, olive oil. Uh, what else do we have here? Beef tallow, duck fat, real lard. These are healthier fats that support that membrane. They have a lot of cholesterol in it, but cholesterol is amazing. I mean, part of your membrane is made up of cholesterol. So that's a big thing right there. If you take one thing from this conversation, switch those fats for healthier fats. Absolutely. And olive oil, just on the olive oil one, um, cold pressed, extra virgin, make sure you're getting quality oils as well. Just not like go to your supermarket and grab the first olive oil off the shelf because you can pretty much guarantee it'll be mixed with other oils and it won't be a good quality. So make sure you're getting uh, from one one orchard that you know, and it's cold and it's extra virgin and all of that sort of good stuff. And then you mentioned in one of your lectures that olive oil, not so great for high high temperature cooking. So which ones should we use for cooking and which ones should we not use for like, you know, if we're, you know, sauteing stuff or whatever? Beef tallow is a really solid cooking fat. So if you can find yourself some 100% grass-fed beef tallow, that's good awesome. meat over here, so we're lucky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I get a lot of um, some of the companies that I buy some grass-fed meat get it from New Zealand. So yeah, that's you're right in the right place. Yeah, we are. <laughs> you're right about the olive oil. I want to make sure it's cold press, extra virgin, and a dark bottle, not from your supermarket because that's probably oxidized or cut with a vegetable oil. Um Olive oil could be used for cooking, even though it has a lower smoke point, as long as it's real olive oil, which is protected by polyphenols. So that's something you could use. Coconut oil as well, avocado oil, all those are fine for cooking. Um, Beef tallow might be at the top of the list there. But even with that, you still want to make sure you're not frying a lot of foods and letting it smoke a lot, because even though they're healthy, eventually it could turn bad. So you want to you know, mitigate how, how, how much heat you apply to any oil. Right. So that's a really, really important point. Don't don't let it smoke for ten minutes before you put your veggies in or whatever yeah, that you're doing. Because right. this is, I think, the, the the most misunderstood thing. You know, we think, oh, as long as I'm not eating fish and chips, which is a very common uh, takeaway food here, or Kentucky Fried Chicken, um, I'm I'm good. I'm not eating deep fried food, so therefore I'm not getting good fats. Where do these bad oils hang out in besides those obvious places like KFC. But where else can we find those? 
They're pretty much at every restaurant that you go to, unfortunately. Yeah, this is shit, eh? I know. (laughs) Somebody educate the restaurateurs in the world. Seriously, because the reason they use them is because it's so cheap, right? They want to make a profit. But here's what I do when I go to restaurants. I always ask the waiter, the the waitress, the server, which oils do you use at this restaurant? And it's 99% of the time going to be one of those bad ones. So what I say is I'm allergic to those oils. Do you have real olive oil? Do you have butter? And most of the time they do, but you got to make the request and you got to say you're allergic. So they're listening to you versus it's your preference. So yeah, restaurants are another place. They're in probably every processed packaged food. So read the ingredients. Don't just fall for like the non-GMO label or organic. It could still have these oils. Um, Your safest bet is to eat whole foods, you know, (laughs) that don't require a nutrition label. Like if you ate an avocado, there's no label on it because it's just an avocado. So the more whole foods you can get, the safer it's going to be for you. It's absolutely true. And then there's the whole thing uh, with e-numbers and all the processed chemicals that are put in. You know, when it's there's difference between going and getting some tomatoes out of your garden that are organic tomatoes that haven't got pesticides and whatever crap and making a tomato sauce to put on your, your uh, meatballs. Um perhaps not spaghetti, <laughs> just yeah, meatballs. Not if you want to do keto. <laughs> <laughs> not if you want to do keto. Um, uh, then going and getting a dolmio out of the supermarket, which of course is much easier. It is much easier. It's, it's much more, more, and this is the problem, you know, we've all got like time limitations. We're all busy. We're all like things. But when you grab that dolmio, you can guarantee it's got a whole lot of shit in it and a whole lot yeah. of bad oils and a whole lot of chemicals and a whole lot of e-numbers that you can't pronounce. And if it has, then that's and sugar uh, on top of it. So, you know, where possible, where possible, don't, so, you know, cook cook from scratch, I think is what we're trying to say. That's um, the best option. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's go into... Um, I wanted to actually, like for me personally, I wanted to know a little bit more after listening to one of your your, uh, lectures um, about the counter-regulatory hormones that um, on the membranes of the cell, we have our receptors, right? So there's inflammation, then the receptors aren't working well, and then we get something called insulin resistance. Actually, can we talk a little bit about insulin resistance? Because you've had Dr. Ben Bickman on your show a number of times, who hopefully I'm going to get on mine. Tell me a little bit about the story of insulin resistance. Yeah, insulin resistance, very common. And insulin resistance leads to type 2 diabetes and type 2 diabetes leads to a whole host of other problems. As a matter of fact, it's pretty rare to die from type 2 diabetes. They People die from the, the generation of it, right? My dad, the stroke, the amputations, the heart attacks, the infections, et cetera, the kidney failures. So insulin resistance is the first step of that process. And insulin resistance could take five, 10 years, and then eventually it could take 15 years before your doctor says you have type 2 diabetes. So what is insulin resistance? A basic understanding is when we eat carbohydrates, whether it's processed or not, but any carb, your body, it's going to raise glucose in your bloodstream. And then insulin, which is secreted by the beta cells through your pancreas, is the innate intelligence sees the excess glucose in the bloodstream because the human body only wants about one to two teaspoons of glucose in the bloodstream, uh, sugar in the bloodstream. That's considered optimal. It's about 80 milligrams per deciliters. Mm -hmm. When you eat carbs, there's going to be more than that in your bloodstream. So the innate intelligence tells the pancreas to produce insulin from the beta cells. And then insulin is produced. Insulin's job is to take that excess glucose from the bloodstream 
and deliver it to your cells to be used for energy, which regulates then your blood sugars. Now, if that happens from time to time, no big deal. That is totally fine. But the issue in America and across the world, the average American is eating about 300 to 400 grams of carbs per day, and they're eating it all day long. That means glucose spike, insulin spike, glucose spike, insulin, insulin spike all day long. And what ends up happening is the receptor sites that are listening to insulin and picking up that message to get glucose into the cell becomes deaf to the screams. It's like you got headphones on right now, Lisa. Let's say you were listening to music and you were listening to music nonstop month after month. Let's say you started off at 60% volume. After a month, because you keep listening to the same music over and over and over, that volume sounds like it's reduced. So you need to increase it to 70% and then 80%. And all of a sudden, you're deaf to the music. That's kind of what's happening at the cellular level. Those receptor sites are getting deaf. That means the solution is to dial down the music, reduce your carbohydrate intake, practice intermittent fasting, drop glucose and insulin. And that's why keto and intermittent fasting are two really powerful ways to dial down that music so you could reverse this condition. That is just absolutely so. Because insulin resistance, we all know sort of roughly what diabetes is or type 2 diabetes is. And we sort of know that that's a bad thing, but we don't understand that that's the gateway to all of these other things, that Alzheimer's, heart disease, cancer. You've got a much increased risk of cancer, by the way, if you've got any of these things. You know, that's not a commonly known thing. And then insulin resistance is something like 85% of the, the Western world has a, a insulin resistance. And, and a quick way to measure this, this is from Dr. Bickman, um, is if you, you know, if you haven't got all the measures and stuff at the doctors, twice around the circumference of your waist, and then compare that to your height. Now, if it's more than your height, then you've probably got insulin resistance. And I just look at people, if they've got a muffin top around the middle, yeah. you know there's some metabolic dysregulation going on, and that's what you probably need to start working on and you know like I when when you know you were talking about your dad my dad I didn't have all of this knowledge then but um my dad was a big man and he did not look overweight and he he thought he could get away with eating whatever he wanted and he smoked (laughs) you know um but he was physically active all day so that was a great thing but he um because he was big and he didn't have protruding gut he didn't have a big round gut or, or anything hanging over anywhere. He didn't think he was overweight. I remember going and getting him a body scan and they said, oh, he's got a lot of fat around the middle. And I'm like, right. Then I took him to the doctor. Then I started looking at his blood sugar levels. Then we found out, okay, he's actually diabetic, pre-diabetic, diabetic. I would say diabetic and I was just about to get into all of that when he went down with an aortic aneurysm now what does the aortic aneurysm come from came from the stiffness of so the stiffness of the arteries and then one day they broke and that would have been probably smoking he was also a firefighter so he was exposed to a hell Mm. of a lot of toxins in his life plus he loved his fish and chips and his pies and his, you know, um, and so that was the end result. And we will never know which of the what did what. Uh, but over time, even though he was physically extremely fit, extremely strong, did not look overweight, he had a massive metabolic dysregulation going on. That should be a warning sign to people and listening to this. Uh, get yourself checked, get your loved ones checked. 
you can you can get and, and just doing that that simple um, you know twice around your your waist is it more than your the height? Uh, if it is, then go start digging a bit a little bit more. Um, so yeah, sorry to go on a rant, but I thought that was, that was a great great practical tip. Everybody should do that. Yeah, and, and it's true. A lot of people wait where wait too long and then it's too late. Yep. They get diagnosed with a disease or they're, they suffer a stroke. Like what happened to my dad? You, you don't want to do that. If you treat your health casually, you end up a casualty. Okay. I want everybody wow. to get that. You got to take ownership and responsibility right now. And if you have insulin resistance or type two diabetes, you know, I'm going to say it, it's fairly easy to reverse those conditions. I've seen yep. dozens, if not hundreds of my students in my academy come in do keto and intermittent fasting, work, work with their doctor and get off their meds and reverse that those conditions. So it's fairly easy to do. You just got to do the work. Uh, but yeah. First, it starts with the responsibility. Just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast. Now, if you enjoy pushing the limits, if you get great value out of it, we would love you to come and join our patron membership program. We've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air. It's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way. But to do that, we need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out. So if you're interested in becoming a patron for Pushing the Limits podcast, then check out everything on patron.lisatamati.com. That's P-A-T-R-O-N dot lisatamati.com. We have two patron levels to choose from. You can do it for as little as $7 a month New Zealand or $15 a month if you really want to support us. So we, we are grateful if you do. There are so many membership benefits you're going to get if you join us. Everything from workbooks for all the podcasts, the strength guide for runners, uh, the power to vote on future episodes, uh, webinars that we're going to be holding, all of my documentaries and much, much more. So check out all the details, patron.lisatamati.com and thanks very much for joining us. These are lifestyle interventions and dietary changes, and yep. nobody can make money out of that, so nobody's going to be pushing you to do that. And it is hard. Like, you know, we all love food. You know, most of us have a cultural, uh, you know, relationship to food, and we have emotional relationships to food, and so we've got to work through these things. And I battle with this too, and I'm sure you do too, Ben. You know, from time to time you, you lose the battle, but – it's about, you know, every day trying to get a little bit better uh, and understanding the processes will make you much more likely to um, to do it. But rather than um, you've read that you shouldn't have much carbs, but then after a week you're like, damn, I really, you know, starving for some carbs. And if you don't understand the mechanism of why, the science behind then you're less likely to continue on doing it, you know, because you you forget, you know. Um, I, I see this with my clients all the time is that they'll start even taking a supplement or something and then the bottle runs out and they're feeling so much better that they don't buy another one because it's, oh, I'm fixed now. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, <laughs> you're fixed because we're doing this plus this plus this, and then you've gone and stopped it again. And when, if we want those epigenetic changes to happen, then that has to be over a period of at least six to eight weeks, if not long, much longer. Uh, we have this mentality in our society, I think, of where if if I start something today, I want to see the results by tomorrow at the latest. 
<laughs> yeah, it's the microwave thinking and it doesn't yeah. work that way. I always no. tell people, you know, how long did it take for you to get to this point of type 2 diabetes or whatever condition? Years. So how do you expect for it to be taken care of in two weeks or two months? And the reality is this, you know, people don't like to hear this. It's years, not months of you doing the right things to get to optimal health. Now, that, that doesn't mean you won't get benefits month after month. That doesn't mean you have mm. to avoid carbs for years, but it means you explore different avenues of healing and years, not months, typically to get to that optimal peak healthy state. Yeah, but that shouldn't stop you because you will start to feel the benefits very, very fast. That's correct. Within days. So you will like, That's so correct. don't be put off by, oh, this is going to be years and oh, I won't bother. Um, start doing some of these things now and you will have an immediate response. So, you know, and we talked about with, uh, you know, my mum's journey with uh, the aneurysm, it was months and months with her with a brain injury, like you're retraining brains. That takes, freaking ultramarathon endurance that's what that takes because you just see nothing and nothing and nothing and nothing and people telling you why are you doing it it's not going to yeah. work and then all of a sudden bang we'd have a step mm-hmm. but that step that that all of a sudden was actually six months of work prior yeah. every single every every single day and and that's what people don't get they look at her and just go oh well she's great that must have just all come about naturally i said <laughs> That <laughs> there was thousands and thousands of hours that went back into her re- into her rehabilitation, yeah. and it continues to this day. And we're seven years into that journey, wow. and she's still improving. And I get constantly still that you know, I, I remember talking to a physio recently, and I'm like still working on her drop foot. She doesn't lift this right foot because she was paralyzed on the right side, and I'm like running out of ideas of how to get her brain to do that. And he just look, that's all you're gonna get. It's all you're going to get. Just give it up. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> and so far, he's proving right. I can't get that foot, but that I'm never going to, I'm never going to stop. Yeah. I'm never going to stop. Not until, you know, the day she dies, that's when I'll stop. Yeah. I Not love before. that. That's, that's the type of tenacity and commitment you want. You are committed, right? That's, that, that's the difference. There's a difference between being interested and being committed. There's a great quote. I actually want to get it right. I'm going to, I'm going to read it right now for your yep. audience because it's going to, it's going to demonstrate exactly the difference between somebody who's interested versus somebody who's committed. So uh, Ken Blanchard said this, he said, there's a difference between interest and commitment. When you're interested in something, you do it only when it's convenient. When you're committed to something, you accept no excuses, only results. So you're exactly somebody who's committed versus somebody who's interested. Yep, yep. And and sometimes you don't win. I know that I can, and I, you know, I know that I can still fail on these things. I don't go in with that mentality though. I go in with a, I, I divorce my mind from the consequences. I just do the work, do the daily, do the daily, and that's that's I think really really important. Now I wanted to come back to the counter regulatory hormones: cortisol, human growth hormone, norepinephrine, and glucagon. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what you meant when you were, because this was like, ah, that was a bit of a uh, wake up call when I was listening to one of your lectures going, um, that when the insulin goes down, the counter regulatory hormones, cortisol, human growth, growth hormone, those ones I just mentioned, they come into play and what do they do? Because yeah. I hadn't put these, these pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah, uh, this happens when you're in a fasted state, right? So when you're intermittent fasting daily, 16 hours, 18 hours, whatever you want to do, 
you're dropping insulin, which as we established, very important for 80 plus percent people out there, you want to drop insulin. As you lower insulin, you have these set of hormones that you just mentioned that run counter to insulin. They're called counter-regulatory hormones. They go up as insulin goes down. This is the amazing human body, the innate intelligence. This is the way of the innate intelligence pumping the body full of energy and resources to be alert, focused, and able to go hunt and kill. That's why the body's doing it because Mm. the body thinks we're hardwired for the old school. Mm. The human body does not know about your... Kentucky Fried Chicken, your refrigerator. We have Uber Eats here in America. The human body doesn't understand that. When you go 16 hours without food, the human body thinks, oh, we're going through a famine. What we need to do is keep this human body alert, focused, and energized to go out there and hunt and kill. So it raises counter-regulatory hormones. That's why so many people feel amazing when they're fasted. The body is doing this to keep you alert. But the hack here is if you live in a country like we do that has food readily available, you don't have to go hunt. So you could use that to have amazing energy levels and focus. And in the same token, insulin is dropping. So you're burning body fat and producing ketones, which also crosses the blood-brain barrier and gives you another fuel source. So that's what counter-regulatory hormones do. This is the biggest difference here between, let's say you cut your calories by default with intermittent fasting just because you're eating less by eating less often versus cutting your calories by eating small portion control meals throughout the day. Mm, if you're cutting your calories, but eating frequently throughout the day, you do not get the benefits of counter-regulatory hormones. You do not get the benefits of lowering insulin. When you, cu- when you cut your calories by default with intermittent fasting, you do get the benefits of dropping insulin and getting the counter-regulatory hormones. So that's what essentially what's going on in the body. Wow. So, so and when, when cortisol goes up and you human growth hormone, I mean, human growth hormone going up is a brilliant thing because this keeps us younger. It keeps us more vital. It's helping us. Preserves be, muscle. Uh, yep. Preserves muscle. Uh, and then norepinephrine. So that's like a adrenaline in the brain. Uh, that makes you more focused, more concentrated, more able to do your work. This is why people who are fasting often have a clear brain. Yeah. But however, when people start doing this, and if you've been on a high carb diet, the sort of standard sort of stuff, and then you suddenly stop eating, um, some people get the shakes, some people get the low blood sugars, the hypoglycemia. What, what's going on there and how do they get through that, that period of time so that they can come to that place where the body goes is actually uh, better when it's, when it's fasted without that hypoglycemic state? It's a great question because a lot of people will hear this conversation and they're like, I'm convinced I'm going to fast tomorrow. And they get none of the benefits we're speaking about. They feel worse. And the reason is because they are metabolically inflexible. So how do you deal with that? What do you do? That's why I love keto. I love getting fat adapted before you do any fasting. Mm -hmm. Think of intermittent fasting as a muscle that you develop over time, like a bicep muscle. You wouldn't just be a couch potato for 10 years and then go do a CrossFit workout or run a marathon, right? You would train for it. You know all about that. Same thing here. You wouldn't be a sugar burner eating every two to three hours for 20 years and say, I'm going to fast 18 hours tomorrow. You're going to hurt yourself. It's going to feel awful. Mm. You want to train for it. You want to achieve metabolic flexibility. So what happens for those who feel hypoglycemic and awful during a fast, they are 12 hours into a fast, let's say, and they're burning through their sugar reserves, those glycogen stores. And it's getting low in the brain, the glucose. But the body doesn't have the metabolic flexibility to burn fat and produce ketones. So the brain will panic and send the body intense signals 
for cravings for sugar and carbs to get glucose up in the brain. And you're going to feel awful and your energy levels are going to drop because you don't have the metabolic flexibility. The solution, do two weeks of a low carb, high fat diet. It doesn't have to be keto. It could just be low carb ish, but doing low carb for two weeks, higher fat and protein will help your body achieve more metabolic flexibility. So then when glucose drops during your fast, you switch to your body fat your body fat or fatty acids are sent to your liver, ketones are produced, then your brain has an alternate fuel source. So that's the solution. That's why I love doing keto before doing too much fasting. Absolutely. And I, uh, I'm i actually a fan of um, exogenous ketones to help people transition through this phase. Um, and this, this, this is giving your body some ketones because most of our bodies have never seen a ketone in its entire life because it's never been in a deficit of, of, of calories or, or glucose. Yeah. So it's always been fed. So it doesn't recognize this new fuel substrate, ketones. And, and so when you're putting in exogenous ketones, which meaning exogenous just means ones that you drink as opposed to what your body is producing. You're helping transition. And I like the, I've got a product uh, um, from Keto Pro that I love and it's, uh, Exogenous ketones bound to electrolytes because this is the other piece of the the equation is that when you um, are are going into a keto diet, you can lose your electrolytes because you'll lose a lot of water and you'll lose a lot of weight, but you can end up dehydrated and that adds to the keto flu, the headaches, the feeling like shit. And so if you can have some ketones in the mix and electrolytes, and if they're bound together, even better, um, to just help you transition into that ketosis state or I, when I'm working with someone with, say, brain cancer or um, something like that, and they are on certain drugs, certain drugs can push your blood sugar levels up, like things like dexamethasone and steroids and things like this. They're not going to get into a ketosis state where the body's producing their own ketones for quite a while. They're going to struggle. So by putting ketones into the mix, then we can help them. This is, I think, also beneficial for people who are in hospitals and they're getting fed shit food. And you can't stop that happening because they are, and I've experienced this, because they're under the control of somebody else, bringing in exogenous ketones and having that, especially for people with strokes uh, or brain damage or aneurysms, uh, concussions, uh, and having some exogenous ketones, the brain can then go, oh, I've got some ketones to do some repair because, as you said, it crosses that blood-brain barrier. I wish I'd known that when my mum had their aneurysm. I wish that I'd known that there was something that I could have given her to feed her, which I found out later but you know we could have saved more damage if we'd got that in straight away uh i actually just had just as a a complete aside i just had uh alan cash on the show um who is a physicist and he has oxaloacetate have you researched oxaloacetate yeah Yeah, i've I've used that in a product called benagene here uh great for cellular health yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, is that his so, product? Yeah, that's his product. So, Alan oh, Cash I didn't even know that. The, yeah, yeah. So, he's the physicist behind it, discovered, uh, you know, this, this great research that was actually done in the 60s, I think, in, in Japan or 70s or 80s, I can't remember. And oxaloacetate ended up being this great thing for diabetics, but it was never followed up because they couldn't patent it and they couldn't make millions out of it. 
he's managed to patent it by uh, making it stable and so on. And so oxaloacetate is also another very interesting molecule that's worth doing more research on because uh, I, I put it in the mix for mum's cancer um, because uh, I had an advanced genetic test done and it came back that she will respond to oxaloacetate. So I'm like, what oh, the hell is oxaloacetate? <laughs> so I've got that in the mix now. But then in my research of oxaloacetate, I'm like, holy shit, this thing does a whole lot more than just for cancer. Um, so that's a really interesting one. So yeah, go and do a de- bit of a deeper dive and um, maybe listen to, to Alan um, Cash's podcast when it comes out, I think next week. On my I will. Show. Yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. Uh, I, yeah. So interesting. I will listen to it. And it's a different, it's a, it is a ketone, but it's a different type of ketone. Um, and yeah, so it's very, very interesting. Um, okay. Now let's, where, where do we go next? Because there's just so much to the keto. So it, there are variations in keto diets and there are a lot of people who've just heard at their local gym about keto diets and, you know, the bodybuilding community is very big on the keto diet um, and so on and so forth. But there's sort of bastardized versions of keto and there's dirty keto and there's clean and then there's, you know, the modified Atkins diet and then there's there's different ratios. Um, can you can clear up some of the confusion around that and where should people start uh, if they're going into a keto, you know, uh, wanting to have a go at keto. You're right. A lot of people teach keto these days, and um, I believe most of them don't teach it the right way. So I love to kind of change the paradigm when it comes to keto and teach people that mm-hmm. keto is not a diet. Keto is a metabolic process. There's nothing new about keto. It might be new to you or nuanced, but it's been around for as long as humans have existed. It's not a fad diet. This is a fact. If you want to talk about fad diets, you would talk about the standard American diet. That's the real fad diet. So keto is a metabolic process. It's natural. Babies that are breastfed are actually in ketosis. There are about five plus studies on PubMed that verify that because breast milk has saturated fat and cholesterol, which helps the development of the baby's brain. And the argument is, yeah, but there's also sugar in breast milk. You're right, but the baby is so efficient at burning the sugar, it actually goes in and out of ketosis. Babies are in ketosis. It's our natural fat-burning state. But what happens next? The baby grows up, it's weaned off of breast milk, given some uh, formula with high sugar, and then snacking on carbs, and then eventually that natural fat burner is now a sugar burner. That's what happened to me and, wow. and so many others. So we want to go into keto looking at it as a metabolic state, and one tool in the shed. It's not the only tool. Don't be dogmatic about it. Uh, don't put yourself in a box. Uh, that's something I learned from uh, along the way, being a vegan and then doing keto. We don't want to put ourselves in a box and say, this is the only tool. We want to use it to achieve metabolic flexibility. And keto flexing is the principle for going in and out of ketosis once you have achieved metabolic flexibility. Just like our ancestors all did keto, They also, when they had the opportunity because of their environment, flexed out of ketosis. There's not one culture in Mm. the history of this world that stuck with the same diet long-term. They Mm. changed their nutrition, changed their diet, diet variation, Dr. Pompa calls it that, based off of their environment. So don't be dogmatic. Stay away from the bad fats. Eat the clean fats. You you gave a great suggestion about keeping your electrolytes up, especially in the beginning, because you do get this electrolyte dumping. I I wrote about that in my book as well. And then pair it with intermittent fasting when you feel like you're ready, typically 14 days in. And there's a difference between being fat adapted, which takes about 14 days of doing keto versus keto adaption. That takes about eight to 12 weeks. Keto adaptation means now your mitochondria are very efficient at using ketones, especially the mitochondria in the brain. 
So when you're in ketosis for eight to 12 weeks straight, at that point, you should notice a significant increase in your results. Like your brain just gets turned on and you're now at this keto adaptation, mm. adaptation phase. And then at that point, if you don't have insulin resistance, if you don't have type 2 diabetes, if you feel like you're metabolically flexible, you can start flexing. And that simply means having a day per week or a day every other week where you intentionally eat higher healthy carbs to bump at yourself out of ketosis, make some hormonal conversions, and then go back into ketosis. And that's what we want, metabolic flexibility and freedom. So that's what I would teach people wow. to do it, how to do it and view it from a lens of cellular health, not just losing weight because you don't lose weight to get healthy. You get healthy to lose the weight. Oh, that's just, man, that, I love that, that's, that, that you, you, you get healthy to lose the weight because if you're unhealthy, you're going to hold on to your fat stores. You, you know, you've got a lot of toxins that are uh, stuck in those fat stores. There's a reason sometimes that those fat stores are there. Uh, uh, you're going to be able to release the weight if you haven't got the inflammation, if you haven't got it. Uh, these other issues going on and if you keep metabolically flexible then your body will go I don't need this actually anymore and I can start passing it out and getting getting rid of it wow and that so the fat adaptation is different than the keto adaptation so just to to reiterate because that was actually a new concept for me in my head so I've always thought well you're fat adapted you're keto adapted right um, but no so so over eight week period you're saying then there's sort of another gear shift that comes along if you've been in ketosis because there is a sort of a raging argument. Some are saying, oh, you know, you've got to be in ketosis all the time, all the time. Others are saying, no, cycling in and out. That's what we used to do, like our ancestors used to do, cycle in and out. I'm a big fan of cycling everything. I think yeah. cycling your supplements, cycling, yeah. uh, you, you know, your exercise regime should yeah. be cycled, your, you know, your mTOR and AMPK phases exactly. where you're in a growth versus a clean-out phase, uh, and we can talk about that briefly. All of these things should be cycled in and out. We shouldn't be like a whole year year training for an ultra marathon and you're training all the way through you're doing the same thing and, the, and that's what I did for years because I didn't know any better uh that just led to inflammation and problems with your performance and hormonal issues and it's the same with your food uh a little bit of variation and this is like you know the bodybuilding community know that they need refeeding days and things like exactly. that but we they were ahead of the game. They, they knew it before a lot of us knew it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did, and uh, I think you know, and and also from a a cultural and lifestyle freedom point of view, there are times when I want to go out with my family and just enjoy and and have a party and eat stuff that I shouldn't eat, and that's okay. I'm metabolically flexible enough to now to uh to cope with those times. Yeah, I don't need to be completely dogmatic. I am never eating in a restaurant again, ever. Yeah. You know, that's like exactly that's just it. like, come on, I want to enjoy life and I want to have a bit of fun. And, you know, one of the greatest joys in life is eating. But one of the most miseries in life is the cravings that you get because you're not eating the right things. And these, uh, you know, sugar cravings and things actually are reduced massively. Yeah. Uh, and this is like, I, I was totally sugar dependent. So as an athlete, I was, um, unfortunately in my, in my professional career, if you like, I was completely carb based and I was taught I had to keep eating all the way through and all the time, uh, in order to fuel the training that I was doing. And that's what I, what I believed. God, if I look back now and went, hell, what would I have been able to achieve if I was keto, if I was fat adapted, if I you was, you would have been you like uh, Zach Bitters, Do you know, Zach Bitters. <laughs> 
I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a little He's bit, like a but... fat adapted ultra marathon runner who, who uses both glucose and uh, the keto uh, ketogenic pathway. So oh, you get, it's like a him. dual engine, right? Yeah. Cause then you can, you can during the race hop into yeah. glucose burning when you need it. And, but you are also metabolically flexible and uh, stuff. So yeah. And things like, you know, training at altitude, you know, or racing at altitude, man, if I'd been on a keto, I would have been able to handle the altitude a hell of a lot more. Uh, better and so on and so forth just really and i just love experimenting you know <laughs> I'm an yeah, experimenter. Me too. <laughs> you know you said something very important about uh i love the way you think about it i, I agree about everything should be cyclical uh i agree i do supplement rotation uh, cyclical eating diet variation fast feasting mTOR autophagy etc but you're right because everything in nature is cyclical women have their monthly cycle seven days a week or so, that's every month, that's cyclical. You have the four seasons, that's cyclical. Everything is cyclical and that should be viewed in terms of our nutrition, our, our exercise routine and the supplements that we take. So I agree with you on that. Absolutely. And even the circadian rhythm things, you know, like getting the sunshine on the eyes early in the morning, getting yep. your cortisol up, uh, learning to, you know, biohack your way into just by having the right knowledge, um, you know, like now it's early in the morning and I would like to be outside, you know, but I, uh, I'm having this fantastic conversation with you. So I'm stuck here. So I'm sitting under a, a light that gives me that light early in the morning. And it's not as good as being out in the sunshine, but it's better than nothing. And why do I do that? Because I want my cortisol to come up, my melatonin to go down. I want to wake up. I want to reset that superchiasmatic nucleus in my brain that gives my, my 24-hour clock because at certain times of the day, my organs will be doing different things. My liver yeah. will be juicing something. My pancreas will be doing something. All of these things need light. Is it, light is a signaling information. It's not just for vision. It's a signaling information, and it's uh, very important for that circadian rhythm. And then that helps us optimize at the other end when we want to go to sleep. When we've seen a sunset, and I'm a big fan, and I'm lucky I live down by the sea, so I go and I watch the sunset as many times as I can and just see that dip between the, the, the horizon because that blue-yellow light that happens at that time and that orangey light or whatever it is, that quality of light tells my brain, oh, now it's time, it's the end of the day, and we're going to slow, start to slow down, and that parasympathetic okay. nervous system comes on and so on and so forth. Easy hacks. And yeah. our, P and our ancestors did it, right? And it's free. <laughs> yeah, and it's free. And it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that hard. And it's actually lovely and it's nice to actually have a start and a bit, you know, into your day. Um, ben, is there, so in Keto Flex, um, did you go into uh, like you've all of these sorts of part? Are there any other sort of chapters or headings that you think we haven't covered off that people would benefit from knowing? And I really want people to go and get the book because when you listen to a podcast, sorry, I'm rambling, but when you listen to a podcast, you think now I've got all the information. I don't need to read the book. And I'm like, no, the, by reading your book, you're going to download years and years of long form content that you've studied and de developed in one hour podcast, we can hit some real high points. We can get some real understanding going, but you need the book as well because you need to understand the, the long form of what we've just said. So you can right. go in a bit deeper. So is there anything else that you think we haven't covered? You're right. You know, implementation is, is the name of the game. So the book outlines how to implement this. And I, I have a four pillar approach to, keto flexing. So the first pillar is adapt, getting fat adapted. And I give you the protocol in the book. 
Second pillar is called fast. Then we pair intermittent fasting. Third pillar is called phase. We actually phase out anti-nutrients and plant toxins and we do carnivore for 30 to 60 days. And then the fourth pillar is flex going in and out of ketosis. The flex part is different for women versus men and also menstruating women versus postmenopausal women. So chapter 12 talks about how women should do keto and intermittent fasting differently than men. And I give you a week by week uh, breakdown as well. So uh, yeah, there's different areas and and it's important to understand that women should do it differently than men. A lot of couples, men and women, married couple do the same protocol and that's not a good idea. It needs to be unique to the individual, their health history, but also male versus female because men and women have the same hormones, but we have different amounts of hormones and different cyclical nature of those hormones. So we have to consider that which goes to um, your question earlier about the mistakes people make with keto. And when they teach keto, they don't acknowledge this. So you have to no. make sure you do this the right way. Absolutely. Actually, can we just talk about briefly about thyroid hormone there? Because um, yeah. this was one of the things that I... It, uh, it, when we are insulin resistant, and you might know this or not, I'm not sure, but when you're insulin resistant, does that blunt the receptor, the, the thyroid hormone receptor? Um, is that part of, you know, why why is thyroid issues epidemic at the moment you know and is this a part and then second part to that question a lot of people think keto is going to destroy your your thyroid or be detrimental to your thyroid yeah good question okay so the first question was uh does insulin resistance create thyroid dysfunction it can and i'm sure dr ben bickman has some specific research on that i imagine my i don't know if any studying the top of my head, I'm sure there are studies out there, but my thought process on that is when you're insulin resistant, you create more cellular inflammation. Yeah. And that includes your membrane and receptor sites in the thyroid, which can make it more difficult for the thyroid to do its job. The second thing is when you are also doing um, the thyroid epidemic that we see a couple of reasons, you know, heavy metals is a big one, especially Uh mercury. Mercury mm. has an affinity for the thyroid gland and it will attack it. So mercury, like in silver fillings, mercury in the uh, 80s and 90s, they were put in contact lenses and different vaccinations and flu shots. So mercury yep. is a big one. Yep. And then autoimmune disease with the gut, right? Sometimes the auto the immune system will attack the thyroid gland, mm. the tissue in the thyroid gland, because it's overreacting from leaky it's gut and proteins leaking into your bloodstream. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why we see this thyroid epidemic. Um, did that answer your question before I move on yeah. to the other part? Okay. Yeah, no, go to the second part now. The th- keto and thyroid, is that an issue? Because some people say, oh, you're going to slow your metabolism down eventually because you're on keto. I actually agree with that with long-term ketosis. And I, and I wrote about that in my book. I wrote about five reasons why long-term ketosis is not a good idea. So just like having elevated insulin is not a good idea, it's also not a good idea to have chronically low levels of insulin. When you're, when you're in ketosis for, let's say, eight months to over a year, you, you're going to have chronically low levels of insulin. And what, how does that impact your thyroid? Well, the thyroid produces the hormone T4, as you know, but T4 is not active. It's the inactive form. That mm-hmm. needs to be converted to T3, which is the active form of thyroid. That T3 hormone is so important for cellular energy fat loss and just feeling good that every cell in your body has a receptor site for the T3 hormone. That's amazing. What helps make that conversion from T4 to T3 is insulin. Mm. So with chronically low levels of insulin, 
it will create a dysfunction in that conversion leading to a slower thyroid. That, that's why you hear people talk about okay. keto messing up the thyroid or excessive fasting messing up the thyroid. I agree. But cyclical ketosis, you know, keto flexing is the way to bump. That's why I said earlier, keto flex day makes helps these hormones convert, including the thyroid hormone. So it's important to understand that even with fasting, you know, fasting is great. Autophagy is great, but too much of a good thing could be a bad thing. It's the balance, it's, it's the cyclical nature of mTOR and autophagy with fasting. Yeah, yeah. And, and so uh, again, it just comes back to that common sense, cyclic, cyclic, cyclic. Exactly. Uh, and mTOR versus AMPK. And so insulin is a growth hormone. Like it's not just doing this one thing in the body. It's not just getting the glucose into the cell to, to do its job. It's also doing lots of many other things. And it's, it is one of the growth hormones. Um, and right. it also insulin is, if you, if you're a type one diabetic and you don't have any insulin because your body doesn't produce any, you can actually eat what you like and you won't get fat because you cannot have flat fat production when in the absence of insulin. And then you might go, oh, yeah, well, we don't want any insulin then. It's like, no, that's not what you want because what happens to type 1 diabetics? They, they end up losing their limbs and they die because they, yeah. Yeah, because that sugar is just running around and it's not going into the cell. And so, yes, they'll stay lean, but they'll die. Yep. <laughs> or they'll have their legs or their eyes or whatever uh, – crap out um so that's a really important thing that insulin has its place we want it a certain amount just like with all of these things we want certain amounts of it just not too much of it elevated all the time um and so that, right. that yeah that that that's just uh, uh i don't know where i was going with that but that's just a really important thing to be thinking about and that Intermittent fasting is another really cool thing and combining it with keto is another really great way. So when we're talking about intermittent fasting, it's like, um, you know, 14 to 18 hours um, a day trying to not eat and then having a shorter eating window. So that gives the body time to go into a state of autophagy. No one quite knows how many hours that is, but we're definitely lowering our insulin levels. We are upregulating probably our autophagy or self-eating processes and getting rid of those senescent cells, those damaged proteins, recycling, because the body's just going, oh, I haven't got enough glucose. I better start recycling my my old bits and pieces and getting rid of those damaged cells, putting it in a in a simplified form. So, um, but we don't want to be, because, you know, there's some people who are like fasting calorie restriction for your entire life and you're going to live longer. Well, that is true in the animal models. No one's actually tried it with human models. But to me, again, we need these growth phases. We need muscle. Like we need to retain muscle mass as we get older. Muscle is is metabolically active, so it's going to be burning. It's going to be keeping your basal metabolism up. So that goes against the, the whole calorie restriction thing all of the time, isn't it? You know, you want growth phase where you're building muscle, where you're you're, you're putting on a, a a little bit of fat. Even sometimes, uh, you've got your hair growing nicely, you've got good skin, you've got good gut health, and the, and then you've got times where you're fasting and you're doing keto and you're doing other things, and actually cycling that down and um, that that uh, that push and pull. It's a tightrope right. that we're we're needing to walk, and it isn't. So there's not it isn't. It is a nuanced conversation, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know it is for so many, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together, but you know, the bottom line is everything is cyclical. 
too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Autophagy is awesome. It's amazing. It's such an incredible process. But if you get too much autophagy, it'll eat away at hard-earned muscle protein. It'll weaken your immune system. So you want to balance that out with mTOR, which is that growth uh, anabolic pathway, the opposite of autophagy. There was a great study that came out uh, in the mid-1900s. And the, the study was awful, meaning they would take dogs and starve them to see how long oh. it took before these dogs died. They would do awful things like that. Oh, but God. one of the interesting, I know it's awful to think about them as my dog sleeps right here. And I love dogs. But one of the interesting thing is there was one of the dogs in the cages. His name was Oscar. Oscar they called him Oscar the un- unkillable dog because um, all the other dogs kept dying and Oscar kept living. And he lived on, they thought he was fasting for over a hundred plus days and he still lived without, wow. without any food, just water. So they found out that Oscar would sometimes sneak out of his cage, find some food around like some bugs or some rodents, eat that and go back to his cage. So he was getting a little bit of some mTOR and then a lot of autophagy and fasting, a little bit of mTOR. And it actually created this, this robust, like he was hopping out of his cage and they're like, how come this dog doesn't die? Because he got the balance of mTOR and autophagy. So it's a crazy extreme example to show you we, we need both to extend life. Absolutely. I, I really believe that. And there's a lot more you know, research um, sort of coming out around that now. Ben, you've been very generous with your time today. I want to respect that. Thank you so much for the knowledge that you bring and all the, the amazing books that you're putting out and your Keto Camp uh, podcast and your uh, your courses that you do. So uh, we're going to put all the links uh, down below in the show notes, but just tell us, you know, um, so for those who are only listening and not reading it, where can they find you and where can they get your book? Yeah, Lisa, thank you for having me on your show. You're a wonderful host and I love the work that you're doing and how your tenaciousness and commitment <laughs> and just your will, you've got a strong will and it's very admirable. Thank um, you. You were on my podcast, the Keto Camp Podcast. So I'd love for your audience to go check out uh, Keto Camp Podcast. We just won an award from Metabolic Health Summit as the Keto Podcast of the Year. Wow. 2022. Yeah, I got the award uh. somewhere behind me on my desk. Uh, so we're really proud of our podcast, over 400 episodes two to three episodes every week, brand new. Um, so if you subscribe, there's a lot of content coming your way. How do you do that? Like just from, you must be full keto, man, with a lot of ketones. Cause when I look at the body (laughs) of work that you've produced and the time that you've produced it, and I've been going twice as long and I've got half as much and I'm like, shit. (laughs) I've got a team. I've got a team that helps for sure. Um, but it's a commitment thing, right? When you're committed, you just do it, do whatever it takes. You know, all about that. And then my book could be found over at ketoflexbook.com. It's available on paperback, Kindle, and Audible. I narrated the audio version as well. Ah, uh, so you could find that. And then benazadi.com has everything in one place for you, which is my website. Thank you very much, Ben. We'll put all those links down below. And I hope this won't be our last conversation because I do think there's more to be uncovered. So we'll definitely try and get you back on the show in, in a few months' time and see what the latest and greatest is that you've got to share with us. Ben Azadi, thank you very much for your time today. Can't wait. Thank you so much, Lisa. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com 